I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt. This is the show where I have the pleasure and privilege to sit down with some of the smartest, most interesting people in the world and talk about how we think about different stuff. We pick a word to start the conversation so we can explore how we make our shortcuts, how we how we think about things. It's always good to compare those kinds of notes. These, these are the kinds of conversations that I have loved my entire life. I used to have them with my grandpa Carl in his front room, with my grandma Roxy in her front room. I got lots of different ways of looking at the world, great conversations, and it was all leading me to this moment right now. Welcome into the front room, Scott Johnson. Wow, thank you, Tom. I've never, I haven't really thought about the significance of front rooms as um, avenues or places for us to meet and greet and talk. But you're right; there's a lot of front rooms in our history, and we called them the front room. But mm. uh, at home, we never did. So it was my my grandparents' place. It was the front room. At home, yeah. it was the living room or the family room. Oh yeah, now that you say that, same. We we <laughs> our house. We we didn't call it that, but I'll bet people who came to our house called it the front room. Yeah, maybe that's interesting. Yeah. 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 Weird. Uh, well, Scott, uh, for, for the one person out there who just stumbled across this show and has never heard of you before, uh, tell them what you do. Well, I am a full-time uh, content creator, mostly in the world of podcasting and illustration, comics and art. Um, that may sound a little strange, but those two things have, uh, worked really well as complementary uh, focuses for me. Uh, over the last many years, uh, I started technically doing it full time in 2009. Prior to that, I was doing it part time. And um, prior to that, I've always worked in some context of commercial art design, uh, sometimes web design, sometimes illustration, um, all the way since I was a little kid. So not a, not a lot has changed. I'm basically living whatever I thought I wanted to live when I was about 10 or 11. You and, make uh, a lot of content, both art and video and audio do do you consider yourself an artist first or is it all just like a mishmash oh that's an no one's ever asked me that before i i don't know what i consider myself first probably artist first uh, in the sense that you know that's where all of my creativity sprung that's where i started you know Mm -hmm. as a little kid doodling on everything and drawing on my homework and getting bad grades as a result and that sort of thing um that was always artwork but i had this like obsession with listening to talk radio while i would draw Mm -hmm. even at a very young age even listening to stuff i didn't understand you know my adults uh, in my life my parents version of npr or whatever the heck was on the radio i would listen to things and for whatever reason talk uh spoken content combined with me sitting there listening and just doodling drawing and creating became kind of a i don't know like a, a weird joint um, effort by my brain it became linked somehow, huh? Kind of, yeah. We, it's weirdly linked because even even today, when I think of one, I think of the other in a in a strange way. And I do a lot of both, but um, you know, it's it's turned into it's turned into a much more complicated series of events than that. But at the end of the day, I think I'm still sort of doing the same thing as yeah. it was then. Yeah, huh. that's interesting. I I I'd never thought about that uh, that that you could have ended up in podcasting. Because you just associated uh, good conversations and, and and information with with art, and and you're always doing art. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think there's a there's a piece of it that is um, when you're exposed to points of view uh, or conversations that aren't just you in your own head. Mm. That is it can be I think inspirational for creativity. And by that, I just mean, let's say I'm listening to somebody who runs a zoo and they're talking about their zoo and why it's a big deal that the first red panda was born there or something mm-hmm, like that. This mm-hmm. is making this up in my head. Yeah. Yeah. But that's but that sort of, of thing. AM radio kind of conversation. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. And when you have those conversations happening and you're paying some attention to them, they have a tendency to just expand your thinking and make you think more mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and, and draw more based on what you're thinking. And 
before you know, know it, you've learned more about pandas than you ever did. And you've drawn three of them. And it's, it sounds again, like a little bit of a weird symphony, a weird accord you're having, but it's always worked really well for me. And, and they complement each other in that way. Also the other direction I can, I can enjoy art and it inspires conversation. Uh-huh. So yeah. I feel like those two things have always served me really well. Not just in the simple way of I can draw my own album art. That is helpful. It's nice. Yeah. I don't have to Jealous, worry about you know, yes, su- nice. subbing all of that out, make my own websites, do all that stuff. Um, that is convenient, but it's, it's a little deeper than that, I guess. I hadn't thought of this before, but after you answered that, I realized that when people ask me about you or if it comes up, like, oh, I know this guy, Scott Johnson, I will always say you're a podcaster. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. if someone asks me, do you know any artists? You're certainly among the, f- you know, the first couple of people I'm going to mention. Sure. So it's not like I'm only thinking of you that way, but it, 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 this is a weird, I know this is a little bit of a weird analogy, but it reminds me of, I used to go to this place uh, down the street from me when I lived out by the beach in San Francisco uh, to buy baseball cards. It was, I had, had collectible baseball cards and I would go there and, you know, buy, uh, sometimes old baseball cards, sometimes current stuff. Uh, and I remember Eileen called me and I picked up the phone, my cell phone. And I said, Oh, I'm at the baseball card shop. And I hung up and the guy, uh, who run the shop was like, you know, it's always interesting to me how people describe this. He's like, I think of this as a comic book shop that sells uh, baseball cards. Mm, uh, he's like, but you just re- described it as a baseball card shop. And I'm like, Oh yeah. But you know, if somebody asked me if, where to go to get comics, I would recommend this. Like, I know you sell comics. I just, and it's the same thing. Like I, it's your, your priority for me was like, Oh, I think of you as a podcaster, but I also don't discount that you're an artist. as well. Yeah. When, you know, you and I, and our, our trajectories, when we met back in Oh six, I think it was the first time you and I ever met. Um, that was definitely our crossing point was podcasting. No, no, you know, so that'll always kind of be our origin story, but I think you're right. And even when I talk to people, if they want to know what I do, I make this split second decision, looking at them and knowing who I'm talking to about what I'm going to talk about first or what I'm going to emphasize mm-hmm. because I think they're going to get one over the other. So I'll, someone will ask that and I know that they're into the visual arts or they understand that world. And so I, I lead with mm-hmm. illustration if it's somebody who's like, oh, I love podcasts, I listen to them all the time, I love audiobooks, whatever, I lead that direction. And it almost always, it's almost always that both things get talked about. It's just, it feels like I have an easier entry point to some people with one <laughs> yeah, than I do yeah, the yeah. other. Because again, to some people, these seem like very disparate disciplines. But I actually think they're a lot alike <clears throat> in a lot of ways. The processes mm. are different. Production and method is often different. But at the end of the day, and I, you can probably commiserate with this, you are trying to package up a quality thing for other people to consume and that hopefully they'll like it and in a professional way, even pay for it. Mm-hmm. And it, it those two f- processes aren't all that different. It's more in the execution that they're different and that's it really. Yeah, yeah. Um, and a lot of the same creative juice comes, you know, comes and it serves both, I think. The other thing that... If someone asks me for an example of this type of person I think of you with is the word uh, that we are going to talk about today, uh, dad, mm. uh, you, you're, you're an example of a dad. You're like a, like a, you know, if I were creating a dictionary of, of things, I would, I would put your picture next to dad. Uh, you're, you're someone I think of as, as a very good dad, uh, but also just you know, like the quintessential dad. Not that I look at you as a father figure. Dude. It's not sure. like weird like that. I just think sure. of like, you know, Oh, who are the dads? Roger Chang is a dad. Scott Johnson is a dad. Like you're one of the, you're one of the people that comes right up to mind. Yeah. I think, I think the term suits me. Um, it's very nice of you to say that, but I, uh, for whatever reason, fatherhood, much to my own confusion, because when I was when I was first staring down the prospect of having children, and in fact, in my early twenties is when we started. Mm-hmm. Um, I was twenty four. My wife first got pregnant, twenty five when she was born, um, and she's now got two of her own. So that kind of tells you how far off things have been uh, since then. That was nineteen ninety four, and. Um, I remember the time staring down that barrel thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I'm going to be good at this. I don't know if this is even going to be for me or if I'm going to be a good dad. It's all I really wanted was somehow whatever that means to be a good father. I just wanted to be that. And I, and I couldn't even tell you what it was. I couldn't prepare for it. I just knew that's what I wanted to be. 
And I had great fears about not being that. Like whatever that means, again, it's very nebulous in my own head, but I knew I just wanted to be a good dad, whatever that meant. And it turns out, and I, and I don't, I don't say this with any hyperbole or anything else. The minute I saw my daughter that moment and forward, it became clear and almost easy for me. Hmm. And I don't want to, I don't want to say this to, to make it, I don't want anyone out there to go, uh, you know, that's having a rough time with fatherhood. I don't want them to think this is me being judgmental or have any kind of, you know, putting myself above you or any of that. I know this stuff is hard. Okay. hundred percent. It's hard, but I, I figured out the formula. The formula was simple. The second I saw her, I knew that I was madly in love with this new creature mm-hmm. and that I was going to do whatever it took. And that was simple. That was the simple formula. So from then on, come good or ill uh, on the happiest of days, on the saddest of days, on the most frustrating days for her and the most exciting days for her. Um, and true of my second two kids as well. I just felt like, okay, well, here we are. All it actually takes is for me to care. And it's the kind of care that's difficult to define, but it's, it's the kind of care that just means no matter what I am all in on this. And I also am all in on supporting them and their life journey, whatever that may be, whatever form that takes, I'm going to be there for them. And I'm also, this is the other half of it that I think is really important. I also knew that it was going to be crucial for us to be ourselves, meaning her uh, her mother and and me, Mm. in that we weren't going to try to be some textbook version of a parenting guide. We weren't going to try to be... uh, the kind of parents that were always uh, yelling, not under my roof or not while I'm in charge. Something out of the newsreel. Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of, whatever those tropes are, we want instructional videos. Exactly. We wanted to avoid those like the plague and we weren't even sure why we did. We just knew we did. And as a result, and it's so funny because it coincided with my career choices as well. What ended up happening is we gave our children very little to rebel against because we were the cool house. We had all the video games. We had all the cool computer tech. We had, um, you know, the cool movies and DVDs and before that VHS and stuff in the early 90s. We had the place, the Kool-Aid house, we called it, where everybody wanted to go. So on a Friday night. Hey, careful, was, there's a little Jim Jones uh, <laughs> thing there. But I, get and I realize it's not, yeah. not the best connotation in some <laughs> circles. But um, I remember there would be Friday nights when my daughter was in high school, junior high and high school where all of those kids, all of her friends, 30, 40 kids sometimes would just be packed in our house. And we were 100% there for it, ready for it, wanted it. Kim cooked for them. I had all the consoles set up. Um, you know, it wasn't always the best on carpet, uh, <laughs> couches and junk like that. Sure. But at the end of the day, they wanted to be there. Their parents were glad that their kids were there and that yeah. they were in a safe place. And in our case, we actually genuinely loved it. We loved talking to them. We loved being a part of her life in that way. And so at the end of the day, she just never had, she didn't have much to rebel against. There was nothing really to rebel against. And so when she would have those natural inclinations to rebel, which I think kids, it's healthy for kids to have those, those feelings, it was often kind of comical because she'd be like, well, I'm mad because of, well, because of what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Because <laughs> that's how my uh, the hormones work. Because I'm that exactly. age. Uh, there's exactly. no re- re- I guess there's no reason. Okay, and thanks. I, and I spent so much time then being ahead of them in terms of not on purpose, but I, you know, I had a Facebook and Instagram, a Twitter or whatever before any of them. Um, you know, like I'm, I'm like you guys, I was on ICQ and freaking, you know, Usenet before any of you were, were even thoughts in our heads. So because I stayed on that trajectory, there was never that, oh, my dad's so lame. He doesn't understand Snapchat or he doesn't get fun. Right, or, right. You know, he, like all the things they think is their culture. I was ahead of, understood, knew it. I knew what was up and I wasn't panicking about it. And I wasn't freaking out and asking some other neighbor, what do you do about your kids in the internet? I just knew. And so that took some, took some of the weight off of the process. And at the end of the day, um, my kids are all, uh, they're three years apart. So Nick is 21, Carter's 24 and Taylor just turned 28, 27, 28. I mean, they're all old now, older. And I feel like they're far enough removed in the sense of age that I can actually make an assessment of how things went. And I'm incredibly proud of it. I don't, think that I had to do too much thinking while I was in it. Because again, in, while you're in it, if they're 
graduating at the top of their class or they're throwing up on the floor, whatever, whatever and everything in between of the, in the world of parenting. I was all in and loved every second of it, even the hard stuff, because I, I don't know. I just love my kids. So, so I, again, this makes it sound, I don't want this to come off as sounding like, um, Oh, great. Good for you. Are, you know, cause other kids have some hard kids and <laughs> Why stuff. Why can't to deal you with. all be like Scott? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I know they're children with special needs. They're children totally. with, with all kinds of issues and problems and things. And, and they're all valid and, and it matters. Um, and my kids had some stuff to go through as well. It wasn't all perfect and shiny, but whenever someone asks, what's the trick? The trick is as, as corny as it sounds, it's just unadulterated pure love of the humans in your life. And then everything else falls into place because your motivation is always at that little place. Yeah. Listen, listening to that, uh, I think, you know, one, one thing having met all your kids, uh, Mm -hmm. there's a combination in all relationships, including parenting, uh, that is, you know, there is a certain amount of, of advantage, uh, a certain amount of something that's just endemic to the child. Uh, children are humans. They're, they're not all blank slates. Some of them are going to be easier to get along with than others. Uh, and then, you know, how parents interact with them can maximize that or minimize that, whatever it is. I think you got pretty lucky. You tell me if you agree in, in having, uh, three pretty great personalities to begin with in, mm-hmm. with your kids, yeah. uh, so, so that's, you know, if, if you're, that, that, I'm just saying that to second what you're saying, if there's a parent out there like, oh, I wish I had your kids like, oh, okay. Yeah. Some, some, like some kids can be more difficult, just have more difficult personalities. But the thing that, that struck me is there were three elements to what you were saying. Hmm. Uh, one is the thing that I've heard every parent say is the minute I saw my child, I was felt a kind of love I had never felt before, an unquestioning yeah. love. Uh, so, so everybody starts with that, right? Sure. Everybody gets that, with with very few exceptions. Um, the second was a choice. That was the choice that you and your wife made to not try to be something you weren't. And I think that is something where I think folks could look to you what you have done as an example of like, yeah, when you try to be something you're not. Again, in anything, not just parenting, you're less likely to succeed at it than if you're authentic. So the the that that is a choice. So you had a nat, you had the 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 fundamental thing, you had the the choice, and then you had like a natural advantage of circumstance when you're talking about you know just being in a world where you were using technology and had comics and and all of that stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is just I don't want to say it's accidental, but you know, not everybody likes all that stuff. And so that's just not something everybody could replicate necessarily. Uh, But maybe there's something else you can find that, that, uh, that allows you to, to do that. Not that we're trying to get into parenting advice here necessarily, but, but if you were, if I were trying to draw the principles of, of good fatherhood out of what you just said, that's kind of how I would draw them. Like there's, there's a fundamental advantage that everyone gets. So embrace that because mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're going to get that. You're going to draw that card no matter what. Sure. Uh, and then the choice, you know, try the choice to be authentic, uh, and the ability to, to create a, a fun world, uh, that's not just, you know, trying to be the cool dad, but just as, you know, using whatever is natural that you all enjoy. I, the, the, there's something, there's something in there. I, yeah. I, you did a good job there, Scott Johnson. Well, thanks. I think that can be, I think, I think a lot of people can achieve that no matter what their station is, what they're doing, what they're up to. Um, in our case, it just had to be, you know, a lot of fun stuff and kids like fun stuff. And I happen to kind of live in a world where they, you know, they also enjoyed that world. And so a lot of that stuff was, was easy, but I, I will say one thing that I, that I'll never forget that I made a choice of in a very spur of the moment kind of situation that I think paid off in droves. And I'll just share it. Um, I was at a family get together. My children are all very young at the time. I want to say probably, probably one, three and six. That's how young they were. And all of them were with us. And they were hanging out with their little cousins and everybody's running around doing stuff. And one of the cousins said the word sex out loud. Okay. Yeah. These are all again, under six year olds. They don't know what it means. They're giggling. They've heard it. They're now he, 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 sex is the funny word to say. Right. And I saw them all, you know, kind of hiding behind a couch, all talking about it. And both me and one of the other parents noticed, noticed this of the cousins and walked over there 
And I, the, the other parent said, you never say that word in this house, just completely freaked out on him uh, uh-huh. and told him you just can't do it and can't do it. And in my head, I immediately, this lesson popped into my head that said, we now have a word that we are hardcore demonizing in real time, right? Yeah. this second. You just made real tantalizing. You did. You made this the most tantalizing word they've ever heard of. They don't know why it's so mm-hmm. forbidden. Yep. They, and they're not going to know because you're not, your, your follow-up isn't to go sit them down and talk to them. Mm-hmm. So I decided that day we are not doing that. We are going to, when we get out of here, it's not our house, but when we leave, mm-hmm. we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about that word and we're going to talk about what it means and what it actually means and why it isn't a horrible word and why sometimes it's best to use it in context that makes sense. And that mm-hmm. was, that was not a thing you should all feel bad about. And it, and, and none of that, we, we didn't plan on that, but it just felt like this is important to do right this second because it felt like there are a billion examples of these that could come up. And we would like to be prepared for those as well and what, what our reactions would be. And I don't think making them feel like they did something wrong was the answer. And I also don't think ignoring it was the answer. I feel like they're part of this deal. Like our job isn't to shut them down and, and, and discipline them for every single thing. Our job was to help them develop as people and help their brains evolve and, and, and learn and, and, you know, build right. pathways and understanding and so we did that, as awkward as it may seem, to try to explain to a six-year-old what the word sex means. Um, you know, it's not like we didn't do <laughs> illustrations or ex- <laughs> we didn't get crazy or anything. <laughs> right, right. But it was enough for a six, six-year-old to understand. Yeah. And, and I, am a, I am certain, although it's hard to quantify and show numbers, I am certain that helped us in the long run to do yeah. that. And, well, I, and I'm not saying my cousin, her, their cousins were wrecked by this experience. No, I'm sure I'm they were I'm just saying, but- you know, they at least didn't have this haunting word that was so scary for them and they didn't understand why they couldn't say it. And now they can't even ask because if they ask, Oh no, what are we going to do? And, get then, in trouble and then go to another source to find out and possibly not get accurate information mm-hmm. uh, or, or just start to develop a fascination that they wouldn't have developed. Uh, Cause right. wait, what you want in that situation, I would guess is someday when they're old enough for them to have a healthy understanding of what that is and when it's appropriate to talk about and when it isn't right. Yeah. For, 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 for all values of that, right. I'm not trying to say when it is and what it is it, but right. you know, like anything there's, there's, there's a time uh, to talk about zombies and there's a time not to, and there's a time to talk about sex and there's a time not to. Right. Uh, right. And, and so what it sounds like you, your instinct was is, well, let me help get them there faster. Yeah. Let me explain to them what that is, why that other parent had that reaction, because it wasn't the time to talk about it. And it's right. not something that, you know, you you always bring up. But let me explain why and why it's not a bad thing. And there is a prop- appropriate time. And then you can. And that just kind of cleared the fog away. Yeah, it did. And it also created a system that they understood, I think, a little bit better. And that would mm-hmm. grow over time, too. But a system of like, if I have questions, I can come and talk to you ah, openly. That's a really good point. Yeah. Without any fear, without me thinking I'm going to jump down your throat or mm-hmm. say, I can't believe you said that or any of that. Like, we yep. cleared that cloud. That was number one. Because once that's gone, then anything's up for, for discussion as needed. And and I think that's crucial um, for, for just child development in general, but also relationship building with you and your kid. And even in those harder, I mean, my hardest struggle with my kids is my, is was my son essentially was turning out exactly like me in ways that I don't love. Like uh-huh. his grades sucked and he was scoring incredibly well on tests, but he just was so like done with homework and mm. you know, it was that era of stuff in high school sure. and he really struggled with it. So every time I'd have to talk to him about it or we would come up or whatever, I felt like I was talking to a mirror image of me. I was less prepared for that than almost anything else with raising my kids. Yeah. Like in a lot of ways, the girls were easy because not easy, but they were easier they had to, such to t- talk different to because, perspectives. Yeah, exactly. You, you could be a total outsider. In yeah. And they were ways. getting four O's in school. And, and when that was happening, <laughs> I was like, dude, this is not me at all. They got that from their mom. Sweet. Good this for is great. You. Yeah, yeah. But then Nick came along and I was like, yeah, you're a little more like me. And it was a lesson a lot of ways uh, for me. I and mean, he and I are very close, but it's only, I think, through that communication valve, mm-hmm. which we opened when they were little, little. And it matters when they're, it matters to do that when they're little. Everybody wants, wants to wait until they're 14 to say, son, I need to have a talk. Mm-hmm. I think that's a bad freaking idea. I'm not saying you sit them down when they're two and try to explain it, but 
open those doors as they are presented to you. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Demystify them, deconstruct right. them, and then let them let them breed a little. And I think you're going to be better off. Because a way that grades thing plays out a lot of the time is the parent feels so guilty that the child is like them and feels like maybe it's kind of their fault that yeah. they're like them, that yeah. they want to scare them into not being like them. A little and, bit. There is a tendency. You know, sure. And so there's a temptation yeah. to be like, I'm scared by seeing what I went through. Uh, and if I warn them, maybe they'll stop, which really then just ends up with the child later discovering, well, you were just like me. What a <laughs> bunch of BS. You're such a hypocrite, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it is harder, but smarter to say, yep, went through the same thing. Yeah, it is yeah. much harder. And the good news is you do come around the other side of it. That's yeah, yeah. best. That's a smoother transition when you kept the communication valve open and you there was always love and respect on the table. Right. And you never like my kids. This isn't just a, a side. My kids always talk about how scary I am when I'm angry. Oh, yeah. And the reason they do this we've sussed it out is because I was so rarely that way. Mm -hmm. Like it never happened. Their mom would get after more. I come home from work and I was the big happy guy they wanted to hang around with. Yeah. yeah. So when I was appropriately angry, it seemed like a freaking transformation and a monster had entered the room because I was so, it was so not my usual stance. And, and that was, (laughs) that's interesting because their perspective is their perspective. And so if you're not, if you're not getting after them a lot or getting mad at them a lot, then when there is those moments, you're going to look like, you know, Dr. Hyde or no, Dr. Jekyll, I guess. Mr. Mr. Hyde. No, wait, Mr. Hyde. Yeah. (laughs) Starting to forget these things. Dr. Jekyll uh, sounds like he should be evil, but he's not. No, he went to school. He studied hard. He got, you know, he had ideas. Why wasn't he like Dr. Nice Guy and Mr. Hyde? Right. More Dr. Hyde and Mr. Jekyll is a better. Yeah. Jekyll's. uh, Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. But the point is like, yeah, they, they, they will, they'll have your back more. You'll have their back more. It was more of a partnership. If I'm honest, Mm -hmm. like we worked with them, not, not against them or for them. And I think they, even when it was too young to really know that we were doing that, I think they, I think they intuitively kind of knew that that's how this is supposed to go. The trick though, is not trying, not disingenuous, you know, being able to still be an authority figure, right. Right. right, To a certain extent. Uh, we've talked a lot about parents who overdo the authority figure, but you can underdo it too. Oh, hundred percent. If all you are is like your kid's best friend in high yeah, school, yeah. that's not a great uh, way to, to do things. So it, uh, as much as I think it is a fine line for whatever reason, we were just either adept to it or mm. our kids were predisposed to be ready for it or whatever that we just, we kind of traveled that line pretty well. And it was just things like a, you know, if somebody said one of their friends said something about, I don't know, like something, not Facebook, but something like Snapchat. And they would talk about it around us as if, as if we didn't know the inside, you know, Mm -hmm. words or the kind of terms you use around these, these uh, popular with the teens technology. And I would go, Oh no, that's because uh, those, the way those servers are work, they do this. And like, they start to freak out. Uh Oh my gosh, how does he know all these things? (laughs) And then it would just change the, it would change the tenor of everything. But then I would still going, I would go back to being, well, now dad's got to go make sure the sprinklers work and I'll see you guys later. Like you still maintain Mm -hmm. the, the, (laughs) the position of parent without the imposition of parent. Yeah. I I suppose there's, there's a thing that a parent has to do. There are plenty of things like, you know, fix the sprinklers or, or get dinner ready or, you know, drive you somewhere right. that, that kind of can, can remind the, uh, of the relationship without having to be, you know, yelling or hectoring or, or, or anything like that. Sure. Sure. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. What about your own dad? Oh, I'm glad you brought him up. I mean, for a lot of, a lot of, 
you know, talking about how this kind of came natural. I think a lot of it did come through his sort of example. He mm-hmm. was a really great dude, uh, died way too young at the age of 63, uh, back in 2000. So I had just had, I think Nick was two months old. Oh, wow. So he passed right at, at the time that I had a, you know, five, three and one year old, mm-hmm. not quite one, but, um, anyway, that was a real bummer for the family and hit everybody pretty hard because he was kind of this, this force for good and forgiveness everywhere he went. Like, uh, you know, if you, we basically, it was like, you know, if you went to church as a kid, um, we would tell our friends that we, we believed in the gospel of Blaine, which was my dad's name. Oh, okay. And the reason we said that wasn't anything weird. It was that his idea of a good church going person wasn't somebody who even went to church necessarily. It was somebody who was constantly looking out for others, uh, taking care of people who needed it, finding out somebody didn't have enough money for Christmas and secretly figuring out a way to get them what they needed and then never asking for credit, like those kinds of things. He was really good at that stuff and was constantly, you know, showing us how that worked. I had a, I had a Volkswagen rabbit. I bought black one, black rabbit for about, I don't know, like it paid 600 bucks for it. It was a pretty cheap thing. And, um, he owned a, a body shop for a while and I had that car, my car parked out in front of his body shop to be worked on. And overnight, one night, one of his employees stole it. Oh, wow. And he found out and the employee took off and, you know, was done, didn't come back to work mm-hmm. or anything. And my dad was like, I think he needed it more than we did. We'll figure out what to do for you for a car, but clearly if somebody stole gonna, a rabbit, probably a true because that's not going to be my first target. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. He, he seemed, it felt desperate uh-huh. and it turns out later it kind of was, he, mm. he then later, I think a year later or so just had this feeling out of check in on this guy, drove out to where he lived out in the North part of town, pulled up, no activity, peeked in the window and saw him laying on the floor, kind of in a heap and, uh, oh, wow. called the police. Police came He'd OD'd on something and he basically saved his life and then disappeared into the night and never, you know, the guy never mm-hmm. knew. Um, and that's just normal for him. That's so what he, didn't, he did. He didn't report the car stolen to the police. No, he didn't even do that. Wow. He was like, I'll pay your 600 bucks back. I think he, he probably needs it more than you need it kind of thing. Huh. And he was more privy to that guy's life situation sure, sure. and a- probably hired him in the first place. Cause he felt bad. Like all those, all that stuff was at play, but he, he was, some would even say to a fault, just extremely generous with his time and his means and everything else. And he was really this way with us, like more so than even my mom. And no, I'm not throwing shade at my mom, but, but my dad was overwhelming. It was always overwhelmingly obvious that he really liked you and, <laughs> and uh-huh. the grandkids and the grandkids in his case. I mean, he adored them, yeah. loved them, couldn't wait to be around them. Didn't care what was going on. Just wanted to be there. And, that sort of stuff, despite what you may think while you're a teenager and you're being all rebellious and whatever, my parents don't know Jack or whatever, that stuff sticks with you and you remember it. And I think that had an impact on me. He was also, as far as the professional stuff, he was always the one saying, you know, he used to say this annoying thing where he'd say, you should send art and drawings to David Letterman. <laughs> I'm like, dad, why? Why Letterman? He's like, he'd show it on the show. That'd be a great place for people to see your artwork. You've drawn uh-huh. pictures of him before and this is all when I was just drawing constantly and I would just blow it off like that, whatever. But I kind of regret that because I think he, I think he really thought, I think he truly believed I ha- I was good yeah. enough to make a, a, and make a difference. And he'd seen Letterman do stuff like that. He had. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I happened all the time. And so, you know, part of the reason I kept going and kept pushing is because he really did believe in my ability to do it. Sadly he passed right before the internet would become hmm. what it would become oh, and the ability for just people like you and me to just yeah, yeah. make something and put it out there. That was all just coming. And, and I know he would have just been thrilled about this stuff. Like he was already a photographer. He would love where digital went. I mean, he would just loved all this stuff and, you know, cut way too short, but there's always a kind of a feeling that his influence is part of all of this. So, yeah, hopefully, I think hopefully it makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. I, I I think there's there's a lot to be said for role models, uh, and you know we we hear a lot of stereotypes, you know, about uh, patriarchy and father figures and and things, and and there there is something to those. I'm, I'm not I'm not bringing those down, uh, but 
you know, when you're talking about your dad, your your dad doesn't fit the the stereotype. You know, mm-hmm. that that is not the 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 father that's strict and never loved his son or anything like that, right? Um, no. And my no, dad wasn't not. like that either. I I I think because that is a more compelling fictional character, it's overrepresented. Not that it doesn't exist, and not that it doesn't exist in large numbers, and that many people listening to our voices right now have had fathers like that. I, and I certainly wouldn't want to discount that. But I think, you know, stepping back from personal experiences, I don't think it's the norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I and I think that's that is underappreciated. Uh, and yet, people like your father aren't going to go out campaigning to be appreciated because that's what makes them who they are. The <laughs> exactly. They, they don't want it. that. Yeah. They, they, yeah. That's another lesson I think I learned early on. I still apply today when I see people in public behaving poorly. I see them projecting. Yeah. And I see it for what it is instead of seeing seeing it and wondering if I should learn more about what they're saying or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like part, part of me is almost like I know the, I know the gig is already up when I see that kind of behavior because I know that real change and a really effective personal interaction happens on the ground and happens often very quietly and doesn't need a bunch of fanfare in order to be real legitimate and, and meaningful. And he was really good at, at doing that. He was also a terrible businessman. <laughs> His businesses struggled, ebbed and flowed, had a hard time. He's a very honest guy, but it just never stuff just didn't land for him the way yeah. it did for other people in his age range. And, and that was always a struggle. Um, that was the story of my grandpa. Apparently uh, my grandpa died in the fifties, but he, he like went and started a general store in the middle of the dust bowl in Arkansas oh, uh, because he wanted to help people. It wasn't right. like, Oh, this is a great time to start a business. Obviously uh, it was because he's like, those people need help. And I think, I think I could do it. Uh, and of course he, he went broke doing it because he would give everyone credit and they couldn't pay. Yeah. Yeah. But, but he had a series of, of things like that. Apparently same, same I feel like of- you and I, we've always had a little bit of a kinship on mm-hmm. this part of our, I mean, we have a lot of other things in common grew up nerds and all the other <laughs> stuff, but yeah, yeah. but there's, there is some commonality I think here with, with our lineage. Um, the way you've talked about your dad before the kind of work he did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that they would have probably been fast friends, but it's funny it's funny now looking back on it. I, no one remembers the, well, we had to close that business because it was, it was mm-hmm. bad timing and no one remembers those things. All they remember is, oh, that's the guy that, you know, saved the, the junkie's life who was ODing on a, mm-hmm. on the floor. Or mm-hmm. that's the guy that gave when they had no money, he still figured out a way to get a thousand dollars to a family of 12 who needed it and couldn't make it through Christmas and rent and everything else. Like those are the things people remember. So for me, it's always been like, all right, that's pretty good baseline. Like I know, I know we live in a capitalist society where, where, you know, the free market conditions mean you got to get out there and kick up some dirt for yourself and do your thing. And I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm, I, I work in that place. I get it. But it, it was this reminder of priority and what's actually important. And he nailed the important stuff. And so if you measured him and said, well, how were you at, you know, making t- crap tons of money and, and successfully knocking down the competition. He would have been a, a, a two out of 10. Yeah, sure. But he would have been a 10 on everything else, on fatherhood, on grandfatherhood, on how to raise your kids, on how to inspire your kids. Like, you know, I come on your shows and I talk a lot about the gaming industry and people always say, why do you, are you so like intrinsically interested in, in games and video games and the, the business behind it? from all the way back to the, you know, the earliest days of it till the most modern version of things today. And the answer is simple. My dad, one of his failed businesses was running a bunch of arcades yeah. in the eighties. And he, and when the arcade business crashed for everyone, he lost his shirt. But up till that point, my house is full of arcade machines and we were always testing them and fixing them and traveling around and building new cabinets and replacing CRTs and like this amazing childhood for somebody who's already fascinated by technology sees it almost as magical and and i had it right there in front of me (laughs) so i don't know that that i it's not like he he didn't force any of that on me i just you could have ended up being into cars because he ran a body shop that it was just that was the thing that he did that clicked and and it amplified it somehow maybe it really did and i know that he would be just blown away by where all that is today like i would love to have that conversation with him but um 
you know, a lot of that came from him and my experiences growing up with that. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I see it as, I see that all as a very net positive from his life. Yeah. That, my dad was a food scientist, uh, but that uh, did not send me into no, – he's a dairy scientist specifically. I, I do not know nearly anything about cheese compared to him. I still walk outside to this um, – there's a developer here locally where I live in Salt Lake City called Sago Homes. And every time oh, I see yeah, Sago, yeah. I think of this drink your dad helped develop and it just yeah. comes up every time now. Oh, so, man. Sego. Sego was a big part of our lives growing up uh, because that was that was the that was the big hit uh, diet drink. If anybody doesn't remember it, which probably none of you do, uh, Pet Milk made Sego and, and my dad was was on that project with a bunch of other people, of course. But sure. But yeah, uh, it was that and Coffee Mate and uh, Spoon Up was mm-hmm. the diet pudding uh, that. that that went with Sego. Um, that he worked on some space sticks uh, at one point uh, on a contract. Uh, yeah, Prego. He did a bunch of Prego soup stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it was really weird to think about. In fact, that that is one of the things about parents speaking about dad from from the side of the child right. is that you kind of don't realize what's unique about your parents until you're older, and sometimes until they're gone. Because they're your parents. And so however they are is just the way dad is. You know, dads are like that because that's my dad and that's the example. Uh, you know, not everybody's dad brought home ice cream that they were developing and had their kids try it uh, and give them feedback. Uh, and and when you were talking about your dad and, and sort of his reputation and what people said about him, it reminded me. I remember my sister telling me shortly after our, our dad died in like 2004 – uh, I remember saying something about, you know, every time I talk to somebody, they talk about how kind he was. And at first I was surprised, not because I didn't think my dad was kind, but I was like, he was kind to other people. <laughs> but I mean, you know, once I thought about it for more than a second, I was like, well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. He was, he was a really kind guy. And, and we know all these other things about him and, and as families do, but, but yeah, I was like, oh, uh, that, that's cool. I, I was really happy that, that, that people also appreciated that about him. Yeah, it's a great legacy. Um, you know, there are times I, I, you know, I hope that I'm able to carry some of that more forward. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard to say. Like, you feel you get self judgmental about how you carried the torch or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And these are, you know, these are deep eclectic sort of. Everybody goes through them. What, you know, who am I? What have I done? How how have I done this far or whatever? Um, you know, that's why people have midlife crises. Some of them, anyway. <laughs> but yeah. I. I always think that I, pro- I, I'm pretty sure he'd be pretty proud of how things went. Um, I'm, I'm more annoyed that he's just not here to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I get that. So s- s- screw heart disease. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, strokes can go take a flying leap. Yeah. As as I don't like it too. Not a fan. Uh, well on that happy note, <laughs> would you like to play a fun word game? Yeah, always, always. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's called this or that. I do it every, every time. Uh, some of the things will be the same with other guests. Some will be different. Uh, but I'll just give you two options and you tell me which one you would choose and why. All right. Starting with robots or aliens. Oh, robots. Easy. Yeah. I kind of knew that one. Cause right. I can, you can have a hand in programming and stuff. You know, you can do stuff. I feel Is like. Is there anything that you could see in the same class that would rival robots? Oh, like any kind of invasive, non-human, uh, I mean, aliens, monsters of any kind. I, I really, st- I think I go with, I think robots, robots is on top. are always going to win. Yeah, All right. I think so. Fair enough. All right. How about this one? Chuck Jones or Tex Avery? Oh, that's hard. <laughs> I love those guys. I love everything about them, but you know what? I'll go ahead and say. Oh, that's a hard one. These are Looney again, Tunes animators, story creators. Yeah. I, I mean, I revere Chuck Jones to, until the end of time for many, many reasons. But in some ways, we don't have Chuck Jones without Tex Avery. Mm-hmm. Tex Avery broke crazy ground, did it in a very rebellious sort of like, you know, forget you, rest of the animation industry. I'm going to go my own way kind of thing. Uh-huh. And he was brave in a lot of ways and took a lot of heat for it. So I think as a pioneer, I'll give him the keys. I think he gets it. You know, 
I had never thought about this, but Tex Avery is a little bit the Steve Jobs to Chuck Jones, Steve Wozniak. Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Or even, yeah, actually, that's the way to look at it, except I'd say it's, it's almost more like Bill Gates on the, I don't know. Yeah, that, Chuck maybe Jones that's, had a lot more longevity in the industry, whereas Woz kind of cashed out uh, at one point and just. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fair comparison, though. I think that they... But Tex if, Avery, if, when you were describing him, I'm like, that's also how people describe Steve Jobs. He was mm-hmm. the one willing to take the crazy risks and yeah. break down the walls. Yeah. And if you're at home and you're like, you don't know who either of these two people are, do yourselves a favor. You know, you've you've seen their cartoons, whether you know it or not. Yeah. Um, go read up on them. They're fascinating individuals in their own right and worth watching all that stuff all over again. It's if so you've good. seen any of the old Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, any of that, <laughs> yeah. you've, you've seen their work. There you go. Uh, all right. Fast or slow zombies? Uh, I like watching fast ones, but I prefer slow ones in a real life scenario. <laughs> ah, one of the few people to, to give me the dual answer. Usually it, it's kind of a telling which one they, they think I mean when I ask mm. that. So I was a big fan of, you know, like, like, uh, uh, um, 28 days later, 28 weeks later, mm-hmm. when those, when those sorts of zombies started to appear and became like raid zombies, a lot of the world balked at that. Yep. I did not. I thought that was a cool new take. It made it seem fresh and new and interesting. But if I'm in a world where those things are loose, I want the slow shamblers, dude. Yeah. I don't want the fast ones. The Barons or your own house? <laughs> um, okay. those, while he thinks, the Barons are, are a region of World of Warcraft. But I yes. know Scott has a, has a special, special relationship. I with. do. I, okay. Barons as a place, probably pick that. Because I love deserts and I love cliffs and, and mm-hmm. red rock and all that. Love that stuff. Uh, as a chat, as a place with its own chat uh, s- system, because they have their own chat instance in the Barons. Barons chat mm-hmm. is a nightmare. I never want to go near ever again. <laughs> Fair. But yeah. as a place, like as a concept of where I would want to live, I could live in the Barons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You would build your own house in the yeah. Barons. I would yeah. build a house and I would build uh, air conditioning hey, yeah. first. But and hopefully good internet. But yes, otherwise I'm a huge like I'd, I would retire to St. George or you know somewhere southern Utah in a heartbeat because I love that stuff. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think I'm going that direction. St. George is kind of the barons of the real world. Yeah, yeah. a lot of um the one uh, the the area called uh, Thousand Needles, which is underwater now in World of Warcraft, was inspired by um national parks in southern utah so yeah i was gonna pick thousand needles except that it's now underwater so that complicates the question because <laughs> then it's like well do you mean pre-flood or post yeah pre- yeah. pre-flood that place is the bomb but yeah, since yeah. then it's just wet and gross yeah, savory or dessert crepes uh savory uh almost 100 percent of the time i don't know why i don't even have a good answer for this but i really prefer savory almost any time do you like savory over sweet usually um I've learned to like it more. Maybe this is the last three years. My doctor's mm-hmm. like, you got to cut back on sugars. Yeah. You're, you're got some hereditary stuff kicking in. Don't let's not have that. And so as a result, I've had to force myself to do it. And naturally I am now drawn more towards savory in general. So I think that's probably why if you'd asked me 10 years ago, I might've, you know, taken the milkshake over anything. But. I'm surprised how many, many people say savory. I, w- I expected the majority of people I talked to to say dessert, but it's, it's, it's well, you're much a cherry pie balanced. guy, right? You like a good cherry pie. You like, a I nice... love a cherry pie. Yeah. yeah so, but I think, I think with crepes, I probably do prefer savory for mm-hmm. some reason. So I don't know why either. That's a weird one. I think crepes I thought are... more people would say dessert. Cause whenever I see crepes on a menu, it's always sweet stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do uh, like them. But you know, if you give me a choice, I'll take yeah. savory. Dogs or robot dogs? <laughs> uh, dogs uh, over robot dogs. Robot dogs, I'm sure, are fine as an alternative or a substitute, just like robots are in your first first question. However, there's nothing like a loyal, wonderful, happy t- uh, tail wagon dog. <laughs> I, 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 uh, when you said nothing could touch robots, I was like, let's see if dogs can do it. <laughs> Maybe dogs can do it, but. Yeah. No, they're just, they're the greatest Dogs animal the in the world. Yeah, and I think you also agree probably I with do. me on this. I do. They're, and I grew up amazing. a cat person. Oh, but, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. All dogs. All dogs these days. All right. Uh, I, this one, I I know you like it, but I don't know how deep you're, uh, you're, you go with it. Cabbage or radish kimchi? Oh, I'd go either way, but I think as a standard go-to, like the one I'm just going to order without thinking about it would be cabbage. Yeah. And now, this is because I grew up the with standard three- kimchi. That's what people usually yeah, say. Yeah, they call the they would call that standard. Rare. Yeah. Exactly. And the the radish stuff, the 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 daikon radish mm. in particular, 
really amazing. Um, I ha- we have both in my fridge right now, so I'm you know kind of a fan of both. But I grew up in a household with three Korean siblings, three adopted kids, and uh, they brought a lot of that with them and uh, a love for it in the house. And so my brothers, he just basically raised us on cabbage based kimchi my young life. So now it's hard for me not. To, it's hard for me to turn it down. I really love it. It's really good. Uh, hot or cold? Um, no other context. No other context. <sighs> hot. I would add dry to that, but hot. Ah, uh huh. Yeah. Because <laughs> I again, desert rat. Love deserts. All in. But you put me in a humid, like you know, Mississippi or something. Uh, I may want to die by the first day. That that uh, answers the drier humid question. Then. Yeah. <laughs> Two for one. Yeah. Uh, Scott, man, uh, this was a pleasure. Thank you so much for, for sitting down and, and talking about this. This is super fun. I learned stuff. I've known you forever, and I, I learned all kinds of stuff that I never knew. So I appreciate you sharing that. Well, I'm glad you did. It, it was um, I knew it'd be an opportunity to go a little deeper than we usually do, and, and um, your questions are awesome. So I, I hope somebody heard all this and comes away with something good. Um, I feel like there's, uh, that's my goal in leaning into 2023 is I'd like to get a little more good done, you know, and I feel like this show and what you're doing with it is one is, is an aspect of that, uh, kind of collective effort we're all feeling right now. So yeah, thanks man. I'm glad to be a part of it. So thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, really appreciate it. If folks want to find more of what you do, where should they go? Well, frogpants.com has all of it. And that includes all the art I talk about and, uh, all of the podcastery that I'm up to. And there's bound to be something there that people will glom onto and enjoy. I'm also on all the socials these days, especially. So if you uh, check out that website, there's a whole listing of all the places I post. It's bound to be somewhere you're posting and uh, like to read stuff. So go check that out again. That is frogpants.com. Thanks to our producers, Jen Cutter and Anthony Lemos, and thank you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with Acast Plus. Click on Access Exclusive Content at awordpodcast.com, and we'll have a word with you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.